2: well welcome back to the two tongues podcast we have um we have a special guest today mr Daniel Tordin of the onion unlimited podcast uh kind enough to join us again for another interview uh, he's by the way Daniel you're the uh is he the first two-time interview at least the first person we've interviewed in both seasons because we are officially in season two of the two tongues podcast
3: awesome nice to nice to be back guys good
2: to have you so um so daniel thank again thank thank you so much for coming back um you know i've been I've, I've been following you on twitter obviously, and uh, we haven't we haven't spoken since the last um the last podcast but a little bit of back and forth on Twitter and through direct messages and I did listen to your um uh i don't know if it was your last i think it was your last uh your last onion unlimited episode um and I told you a little bit about it but i i thought it was really really well done, and you were talking about um and just just to kind of refresh the audience, uh, when we had Daniel on the last time, we talked a little bit about him coming from the Jehovah's Witness Church, and then going on this uh, spiritual journey when he was uh, shunned or excommunicated, or whatever the proper term might be. So, just an interesting uh, spiritual journey. And we talked about um, we talked about panpsychism a little bit, and that was one thing I wanted to ask you about if you if you we're able to look into that a little bit more and uh, if there was anything there that you, that you've liked or disliked or anything that maybe brought you a little bit further along in your journey.
3: Hmm. Um, so panpsychism as I understand it is the, uh, the idea that um, all things are mind or all things come from mind. Uh, um that fits very much with my pandeistic, uh outlook. Uh, I think the idea basically is that mind is fundamental and it's found everywhere in the in the natural world, throughout the throughout the whole of the the universe. Um, it also fits with some of my ideas that I, I feel we're not the only um, things that have um, consciousness. Obviously, um, animals have some level of coverlessness, but I think that possibly extends to things that we would consider inanimate as mm. well. Um, so that, that kind of fits with... Some of my views. Um, quite a few of the famous philosophers over the years have had panpsychic views, from what I can tell. So ones like Plato, uh, Spinoza, Russell. Yes. Um, again, it's one of those things. I suppose a bit like pantheism. Um, you can't you can't prove panpsychism. I don't think it's something you can prove to other people, but it's something that you kind of know within yourself. And the one, the one thing I do know is that I'm conscious.
2: Absolutely. So Hmm. yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been reading um, David Chalmers, who wrote the conscious mm-hmm. mind. And I also been reading this guy. Do you remember? Um, I sent you that thing on Twitter cause uh, we have to talk about this at some point because Kyle and I, um, I guess I'll just say the average American's understanding of, um, uh, geography in Europe is pretty, uh, is pretty abysmal. Very limited. And we were talking about that today. So I, you remember when I sent you that, uh, that, that uh, thing on Twitter, it was uh, a gentleman who was given, um, who was given a, a lecture. Um, I couldn't quite tell. It sounded like it might've been at a bar, uh, but, but, I said, I said it to you cause the guy, the guy's focuses on psychedelics and consciousness. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. if this place is close to Daniel, he might want to go check it out. Um, I, I don't remember where it was or, um, whether that's, whether that's close to you or not, but, uh, Kyle and I were just having that conversation the other day and it, it seems like our, uh, our knowledge of, um, UK geography is basically limited to, um, what we, what we remember from, uh, from watching viking shows so it's like uh-huh. we have essex and wessex and we, we know we do we know some very very <laughs> basic medieval geography but that's you know that's about it
3: yeah I'd nothing like beyond london <laughs> yeah london yeah that's
4: a good yeah. point uh i would like to say uh-huh. that my knowledge of the geography of europe i would say is exceptional uh as oh, far really? as countries and stuff go but when it comes to like counties in countries yeah yeah i mean no i i, I don't know I'm
3: really bad. bad at geography. Yeah. <laughs> really bad. Don't don't ask me
4: about off
3: me back oh
4: boy well now
2: i re- now i really want to so so um so yeah, i
3: know i know we're, I know
2: we're uh, we took a we took a tangent here but this is fun anyway so so kyle and i were talking about that uh from watching various viking shows uh mercia yeah. mercia and wessex and essex and from other pop culture we know about liverpool and leeds and in and, and london of course
4: um and and uh i know the names of those places i couldn't point to them well where they are geographically
3: i yeah. are, are you to live i used to live in london um just just across the river from essex
4: how metropolitan um
3: yeah, yeah and now i live i live up north so i'm actually quite close to leeds now
4: okay, okay. leeds is north leeds good. is north. Okay. okay good to know <laughs> good yeah to know. leeds
3: is way, way north yeah
4: well i figured because london's pretty down south that's pretty close to uh yeah that's straight yeah. there right so let me ask you this question, Daniel. And uh, I'm
2: not I don't want to put you on the spot, but this is this is funny to me. So I, I was opening up about my ignorance on uh, the UK geography, and mm-hmm. you know, the United States is a larger country, obviously. But uh, what would you say that the, 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 your typical European knows geography wise in terms of the U.S. Is it just is it just California on one side, New York on the other, and a bunch of farms in the middle? Is that is that how you guys look at it? I <laughs> do you
3: know what? To be honest, I haven't got a clue. Um, I, I know New York is somewhere near the edge. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, that's about it. I think okay. I've been to New York. Oh, you have. Okay. Um, I've been to New York, but beyond that, I don't know, just a really big place. When did you come to New York? lots of uh, boundaries. Uh, I went to New York in 2015.
2: Oh, okay. Not nice. too long ago. Yeah. So I drove through New York. Yeah, I, 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 I when you went to New York uh, Daniel were you in the city? New York City?
3: Yeah, I stayed in uh, Queens.
2: Oh, in Queens. Okay. See, mm. I have never been. It's actually very intimidating to me if I'm being honest. Um, you know, this uh, giant giant city and grid grid street system. Um, you don't know right. you, don't, you don't know what's dangerous, where's dangerous. You don't you don't in there's so much about the culture even in New York that you have to know um, and you don't know unless you live there so it's just intimi- yeah, it's intimidating I, think
3: I I felt I actually felt quite comfortable I think because um, I was from uh, I spent most of my time down in London uh, growing up sure. and that that I mean it's not as big as New York but I found it a very similar similar kind of atmosphere uh, interesting Um, I have no desire
4: to go to New York, like big city. Although I would like to go to London, but Mm. just in general, big city type of stuff is not for me. Mm. Not my bag. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Oh boy.
3: I tend to like, I tend to like extremes. I either like uh, a really big city or I like being in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Some of my favorite places are right up uh, in the, uh, the highlands of Scotland. Love it up there. Nice. Uh, li- literally, nothing. Nothing there. You know, it's really barren.
2: So, Daniel, did you ever do any hunting? No. Okay. So, uh, I know guns. Gu- guns aren't as obviously, obviously, it's available there. But no. uh Here, here, it's obviously. Not, you know, it's not uncommon. I grew up hunting a little with my dad growing up, and uh, one of these, mm. one of these leftovers, one of these sort of hangovers from um, from the having those experiences growing up. Is that the the woods? And you know what? I say that like it has something to do with my my hunting experience growing up. Maybe that's just where I encountered it, and I have fond memories of it. But I think maybe all human beings have this. Um, but there's this feeling that I get sometimes, especially if I'm driving on the on the freeway and there's um, deep woods on both sides. Is that I, I'll feel like the forest is beckoning to me. It feels welcoming. Mm, it, yeah. It, on a, yeah. Yes. It wants it wants me to come in, and it feels like that's where I belong. Yep and there's so many subtle beautiful things about the way the the light shines through the trees and it's the it's the type of forest that i grew up with and i'm used to and it's probably very similar to you know uh, what you're what you've got there in in the UK uh, maybe not the highlands of scotland yeah. that, that that seems that seems a little different but anyway I, the reason i bring it up is cuz i i went to florida just the other the other week i took my girls to disney world and uh, there were places where we were driving by and seeing the forest in florida and I, it did not feel welcoming to me. And I'll tell you why, because the forest, because the trees are different, mm. right? So and down down wow. south down south in Florida they've got these trees that have I don't know what kind of trees they are but they have this stuff that hangs off of the branches. It looks like cotton or something that it, it hangs off the trees. Oh yeah. yeah. I, and I, we don't have those trees here. Yeah. So I'm looking out at like some palm trees and some of these trees with cotton hanging off of them, and it just it's it's like an alien forest. It, it was not inviting. It it it, it was frightening actually. The, the the idea that I might walk out in into the uh, did, you know
4: did it look like it would be hard to walk through because there's a lot of stuff obstructing you, like this stuff that's hanging. Uh, is there like a lot of undergrowth and stuff too? Yeah, it seemed marshy, mushy, yeah. muddy. I asked because I know you know. Uh, throughout a lot of those old to to get us kind of back into the alley that we, uh, I know we're going to go in. Um, I know the significance of sacred groves and stuff is, you know, all throughout those old religions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I guess that some of the significance of that is uh, I'm sure that they felt that same thing that you feel that like beckoning you in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also that, uh, you know, if you look at what a sacred grove is, it's a forest with like loosely spaced trees with not much undergrowth. So it's like easy to walk through. Mm. And they, uh, like, I guess the idea is that that's where the gods would want to be, mm. you know, because it's, it's um, inviting. So.
2: Sure. So do, do you, I, uh, this mm. is, this, this may be a f- foregone conclusion, Daniel, but do you feel that, that being in nature, especially alone, that that's a spiritual type of a, of a place that, that, that it, yeah yeah
3: yeah i do there's um there's a particular place um that i love it's uh it is in scotland uh it's it's called Gearlock, and uh it's a beach uh it's a, a really sandy beach yeah. but it's got forests uh when you look to the right you can see forests. to the left there's mountains which Mm. are snow-capped at certain times of the year and it's not like a it's not like a kind of sunny beach you know where you'd go sunbathing it's really it's really um, windy and and raining most of the time Mm. but it's just when when you're stood on that beach it feels like you're I always feel like I'm kind of on the edge of the earth Mm. I don't know if that makes sense as if I could kind of you know, literally just step off the edge of the earth. You can see, you know, for miles across the sea. And um, that feels really spiritual. I think some of the most spiritual thoughts I've had have been when I've been in that environment. I think sometimes when you come back to, you know, kind of the humdrum of, of life um, in suburbia or in a city or something like that. It, there's a lot of distractions, aren't there? Absolutely. Whereas when you're in nature, it's uh, everything's very clear and focused. Mm. Um, so there's
2: some, yeah, I love it. Absolutely some, love it up there. There's something that comes to mind when you said when you're describing this wind swept beach and uh, <clears you> know, <throat> I, 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 there's just something that comes through that makes that makes it sound like it's beautiful but also punishing. You know. And, yes. uh, and yeah it's
3: very raw, raw very yes, raw. yes yes yeah
2: so, so that that reminds me again of uh these hunting experiences growing up and here in you know uh deer hunting season it's cold you know it was very cold mm. and and if you get up into a tree um you cl- you know you're climbing up onto a tree stand and in the modern day it's made of steel and it's it zaps the heat out of you even though you're bundled up you know you're sitting up in this yeah. tree you're you're above where the animals can smell you right you're that's why you're up there they can't see you they can't smell you and you and you have to be very quiet and very still for ex- extremely long durations until you become quiet like the forest is quiet and you hear everything all the smallest little noises the like the chipmunk running through the through the the leaves sounds mm-hmm. sounds like you know the loudest noise you you know it's startling almost it's like an elephant yeah. um but the thing is, it's it's torturous. There's something about it that's beautiful and worth it. It's worth every every bit of the pain. But while you're up there, absolutely, you're, yeah. you know, your nose and your ears are freezing off. You're you're you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're forcing yourself to stay still, even though you just want to. You just want to. You know, <laughs> It's it's. But there's something about
4: it being harsh. That's part of its yeah. Big, it's beautiful, beauty. Yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. It yeah. Makes me think of like. Priests whipping themselves, you know, the, those sects of Catholicism <laughs> yeah, where they, like, yeah. lash themselves. Yeah, self-flagellation. Yeah, there you go. That's the word I was looking for.
3: I, um, I, wrote, a, uh, I wrote a song some years back, actually, um, about disappearing up to uh, the Scottish Highlands. Uh, it was called The Hermit. Okay. And that that idea of just kind of disappearing and not telling anyone where I've gone, and uh finding finding a, a, a uh maybe building a little log cabin in the middle of the woods somewhere yes and grow, growing a massive beard <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> I, I, I absolutely
2: so i, I want massive you to, beard. I, I want you to know daniel that kyle has been nodding in agreement with you the whole oh, time yeah.
4: that's that's my <laughs> yeah. stuff right there that's what i want that's what i want to do <laughs> hey, i I've, I've already got the beard so we're good to go on that
3: yeah, absolutely, yeah. So can hey, live in the mountains, away from everything.
2: So, hey, Daniel, before I forget, there was one thing you said about that beautiful place in Scotland where you said you felt like you were sta- standing at the edge of the world. And yeah. one of the things that popped in my head when you said that, and this is something I was hoping to get into on the podcast at some point today, so we'll, we'll revisit this. You know how last time we talked, uh, we brought up this psychedelic mystic experience? Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's what came to mind. So when you when you said that you feel you felt like sometimes you were, you were standing on the edge of the world, it makes me think yeah. of it makes me think of there being two realms: one in which you're firmly on your feet, stand, oh. standing on the beach, hmm. and one that's one step over where you have no foundations and you're in some new place. And that is an analogy. It, Go ahead.
3: It, yes, no. Uh, uh, it fe- feels like um, when you're there it's really hard to put into words, but it almost feels like you're standing before some kind of portal. Yes. Where if, if you were to be able to kind of walk through it, you'd, you'd kind of end up in, in some kind of spiritual dimension mm. somewhere. It's almost, it's almost like it's, it's, it feels like um, a spirit, spirit dimension is, is kind of butting up to mm. the, the, the physical world.
2: So, do you see why I related that to a psychedelic mystic experience? Because that's what, mm, that's what you just, absolutely that's what you just described. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you you butt right up to that spirit realm, and if you take that leap over, if you ingest that chemical, yeah. if you take sufficient quantities, you do find yourself in another another place. And and I think that there's a connection there that I don't I don't think you need to have psychedelic experience to have that experience, but it's a quick gateway to having it. There are other ways to have it. And, and you you know, it sounds like you were sort of tasting it. You know, you you had a you had an an inclination of it while you were standing there.
3: I think there are. I think there's um, obviously there's the psychedelic way, uh, but I think there's. There's nature, I think, is a good way. I think creativity is another way. Um, when I'm creating things, music, poetry, that kind of thing, I get into a, it's almost like a mystical kind of flow that I get into, as if I'm connecting to something beyond that, you know, the ideas are not coming from me, or maybe they are coming from me, but they're coming from a, from another Dimension, the music, uh, and also dreams. I think dreams is is uh, dreams is another another world. Um, oh, we, I want to talk to about dreams. <laughs> I
2: want to talk mm, about yeah. dreams. Um, sorry, I, Daniel, I really feel like I, I interrupted your flow there. What were you saying?
3: No, no, that was it. That, okay. that was it. I think those those sort of three areas. You know, the um, nature, creativity, and uh, the dream world. I think they are alternatives to touching on another dimension the same as you would get maybe through uh, psychedelics or meditation so So there's various different
4: routes another one that i am curious about um and once you know what it is you'll understand why um it's uh something that i I know alistair crowley was big on this it's sex like orgasm Mm. that climax uh the uh, can you see how there would be some kind of um well well Tantra comes to mind and thats yeah.
2: that's deeply part of Hinduism so but you know being coming from a conservative Christian background it's not the first thing that comes to my mind.
4: <laughs> well- uh, no not not me either but um, having been exposed to like I said, I, you know I was looking into Aleister Crowley and I know that I mean don't get me wrong, I think that Crowley was kind of crazy to be <laughs> honest with you but um I do think that's interesting because there is some kind of like euphoria I mean obviously there's like a euphoria that comes with that. Um I just think that's uh uh interesting a, a little explored option. Mm. Has your Daniel ha- I was what, uh,
3: I was um I was listening to a or watching a YouTube video the other day. I can't remember the name of the girl it will come to me in a moment, but it was it was talking about um what she was referring to as divine sex? Mm. Um which it, the, the way she was describing it was different than any kind of physical sexual experience that a person might have. Hmm. Um, a kind of, I think you just mentioned about tantric, yes. didn't you? Mm-hmm. It was similar to that. It was that uh, two people through, um, through sex, through love, could um, have a connection that was not, definitely not just physical it, it actually attains a spiritual level yeah um
4: that reminds me like the poems of Rumi. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he wrote a lot of that the mystic uh muslim poet he he wrote a lot about that kind of stuff that kind of uh ascension through love yeah well if you
3: i think there's i think there's something that, there's something with all of those things that have i, I think it would be interesting to rig your Rig your brain up to a uh, up to a machine and see what affects uh, you know nature, creativity, um, sexual experience, uh, psychedelics, um, whatever the other ones was I mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> if you were to, uh, I wonder whether there's any kind of um, similar brain patterns with it.
2: That's a that's a good question. Well, you know what comes, mm. what comes to my mind is Kyle and I have talked about this before, but with with the uh, mystic experience, one of the most common themes that goes along with it is that oneness, and that's something that yes. that's some, yeah. that's something mm. we talk about with sex all the time. We, we you know we refer to it as the, the beast with two backs or be, becoming one. You know, like in the marriage ceremony, um, with you know in the right type of sexual experience, you'd absolutely lose yourself in in that experience to become one in, in a in a in a very real way. And there's something about that is connected to the experience, the similar experience that you might have in like a, a, Mm. like a concert, you know, you're at a concert and you kind of become one with the crowd and with the music. It has the ability to diminish your, sense of self it, to, to diminish your ego to to a certain degree. I think that, that that's a similar experience mm. to what's possible yeah. through sex. But I also think that that oneness, that experience of oneness is central to the spiritual experience in general. So it, it, it's like a fractal way of experiencing the oneness of God. You experience it through different avenues and the flow state, Daniel, that you brought up, I think is related I, I think there's something about feeling like you become one with with your lover, or feeling like you become one with a crowd, like at a, like at a football game. One with say. nature. One with nature. Yes, yes. But mm. but also, there's something connected to that. I think that I explain a little differently. Like in the mystic experience, it's it's oh boy, I don't, I'm, it's difficult to put into words. It's like there's there's one experience that's be, that's an experience of merging yourself with somebody else and there's another experience that's getting rid of yourself. It's becoming nothing. It's not becoming one with someone else, yeah. it's becoming nothing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm starting to get hippy-dippy and it's, okay. it's very hard to describe, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't want to ramble on. But, but I think that that flow state is one of those, you know? It's like if you're, if you're being artistic and you're writing poetry, and then you snap back back into reality. You didn't realize where exactly along the way you disappeared, but at some point you were, you were a flow of words from your psyche onto this. Oh yeah.
3: When when you're writing music or poetry, um, it's it's a funny thing. I I find, um, well, I I wrote, I wrote a poem about it actually called discoveries. Mm. Um, and it it went along the lines of um the purest songs are not composed but are discovered mm. uh lying dormant in the sands of time they wait patiently for us to unearth them um we are uh, the privileged discoverers something like that I love it. um i think it was was it michelangelo yes, yes. said something about um statues didn't he the, mar- yes. the statue is already in the marble
2: yes he said that about david You've I, w- just I-,
3: gotta...
2: <laughs> I was gonna i was gonna bring that up yes yes he did
3: well yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that idea that um when, when you're in that creative state of flow it, it goes beyond you as a person it, it is literally like the the poetry or the music or the You know, the statue, the sculpture, whatever already exists and you're you're just discovering it.
2: Let me ask you a question about this. Do you think it's fair to say that when you get into that inspired state of mind and you're Mm -hmm. you're you're creating this art and you kind of lose track of the fact that you're doing it? Would you say that it's fair that it would be fair to describe? I'm losing my thread here. Hold on. Oh boy, I knew this was going to happen. Um Oh, um Oh, I knew what it was. I know. Do you think it would be fair to say that you become the experience of of doing the art? So it's like you stop becoming Daniel doing the art and it, for a moment you become the experience. You're one with the yes. experience. Does that ring true to you? Yes. Okay.
3: Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah. It it almost feels like um, to me it feels like you're channeling something mm. so that you um, it's quite a I think it's quite a humbling experience actually in at the end of it you don't or I don't I don't tend to think oh wow I've just written a, a, a great song or a po- poem or something like that it's more of a humbling experience where I kind of feel uh, privileged to have been shown it from, from somewhere. Mm. I, I don't know where it comes from. I think you'll, you'll hear a lot of artists say that. They don't know where it comes from. It just kind of comes to them. I mean, you've got um, Paul McCartney. Um, yesterday came to him in a dream. Mm. He wrote it When he woke up next morning, wow. yesterday, it was, it was already written. Um, so much so that he actually thought it was uh, an existing song.
2: Whoa! I didn't. <laughs> he know He spent
3: several days saying to people, "Have you ever heard this song?" And they <laughs> said, "No." <"Nope." laughs> and then he realised it was it was something that had had come to him. It's, it's a humbling experience, I think. Yeah, it's an
2: interesting- and it's
3: one that it's one that when when you're in a state of flow and it's coming from wherever these artistic things come from some other dimension um it's um it doesn't actually take much effort mm. i think that i think that's notable the times where i've sat down and thought i'm going to write a song and i've really thought hard about it and tried to piece it together it's been a painful process yes it's been forcing it whereas other times, I've just kind of sat down, and within ten minutes, it's happened. So, can, and it's like, wow, can, can where, I, did, where did that come from?
2: Can I ask you just to, along those same lines? Have you ever been in a position where you were, where it was easy, and then you started to o- overthink it, and then it became hard? Oh yeah,
3: yeah, okay. absolutely. So, the, the, I've the, done that a few times. The, the I reason, think with I think with art in general, there there comes a point with the with the artistic work where you just need to stop. If you keep if you keep working on it, you ruin it. Yes. Um, just just allow it to happen and then stop.
2: So I, I have to say that what the things that you're saying mirror the advice that I would give somebody taking a psychedelic for a, a mystic experience. That if, mm-hmm. if if you first of all you do feel like you become one with your experience when you're when you're having a mystic experience. Um, but also, if you if you resist it, it becomes difficult. So it, yeah. it, there's a there's a, a parallel there where when you're having a mystic experience like that, it does feel like something flowing through you. And as if you go with it, right. if you if you don't resist it, it's a beautiful thing. But as a human being, you inevitably will try to to resist it. You'll try to put some. Uh, harness on it you'll try to you'll try to keep it in a little box and it it can't be contained so when you were saying that you know you you get into a Hmm. flow state and then you try to take control and then it becomes difficult i've experienced that before but it it just sounded like somebody describing a mystic psychedelic experience so you need
3: to you would say you need to be uh, think of yourself more as a conduit rather than the creator of the experience mm. just allow it to happen through you.
2: I would say this I agree with the latter part. The former part I don't know about, mm. but the latter part for sure. If if you 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 want to let it work through you, you want to experience what what it is showing you. You want to experience that experience because that's the point. Any resistance, any effort to control it, any effort to guide it, any effort to hold it back because you feel like it's too much, that's that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, in a mystic experience. I don't know how that parallels to that creative, uh, you know, analogy, but um, I think there's, I think there's a connection there.
3: Is that not the case with life in general, though? I've I've often found when I've tried to control things in my life or force things in my life, um, sometimes it's worked, but it hasn't been very remarkable. Mm. Whereas when you kind of just kind of go with the flow and just just let life happen um i mean my girlfriend is always saying uh, it's like the universe what knows what's best for you yeah um and just be open to that don't worry too much don't panic too much you know things things do tend to work out okay in the end um if you just kind of trust the process
2: yeah i couldn't agree more
3: Hmm.
2: I couldn't agree more i I think that's also one of those f- fractal examples like you see a pattern uh appearing in different in different ways, uh whether we're talking of describing a creative resistance, a psychedelic experience, or like you just yeah. painted life in general. you see the same pattern overlaid on those experiences. I just think that's beautiful. I think it's significant actually
3: i mean that's that's taken me a lifetime to learn that. I think when I was younger when I was a younger man. I, I was always trying to control things in my life. You know, I kind of had ideas of how my life should be. Mm. Um, I was saying that goals goals are necessarily a bad thing. You know, they can be good, can't they? Set a goal and so on. But be prepared, uh, be prepared to be flexible. I think that's, that's what I've learned. Don't don't kind of expect everything to fit in a box and be a certain way um sometimes the best things that happen in life are surprises or accidents mm. apparently accidents you know
2: yeah you know what comes to my mind there is um uh, is buddhism actually comes comes to my mind mm-hmm. yeah um so i i wonder what you think about this if you Have like you say goals. You have a vision of the of the way of what you want to happen. What you want to happen with yourself, your life, whatever. Um, There's there's something arrogant about the idea that what what I want. I don't know how to put this. What I want, I'm going to get, and I'm going to I'm going to bend the world to my will. There's something beautiful about that because I think it's probably possible to some degree to bend the world to your will. I think that has something to do with consciousness and existence and reality. But it seems arrogant, though. It's like with great power comes great responsibility, something like that. Yeah.
3: I, I think it's possible, but I don't think you necessarily get the best results that way. Um you know when we talk- if if we're talking about manifesting and you know the law of attraction that kind of thing the principle behind it is that you you kind of visualize what you want not necessarily in too much detail but then you kind of let it go you don't if if you sit there kind of um, focused on what you want this is what i want um that's not kind of how it tends to happen. You need to be a lot more relaxed with it, you know? Um Yeah. I, I, I can give you a good I can give you a good example of that that's quite funny. <laughs> all right. Let's hear it. Yeah? Yeah, let's hear it. Um <coughs> Okay, so um if if you've been um you guys know if you've been listening to any of my podcast might have you in the past i uh, i found myself divorced um living on my own um a sad lonely old man <laughs> um thinking I, I don't want to be on my own for the rest of my life right. and um one of my one of my friends suggested that i should join a dating site
2: <laughs> okay
3: uh, so, yeah, so I did. I paid 50 quid to join this dating site. Uh, signed myself up, took a photo, tried to advertise myself as best as I could. Um, and it, it was really crap. Uh, it was rubbish. It was, um, uh, the, uh, for me, it was rubbish. I, I was kind of looking at the people on there and it just felt so shallow, mm. you know? Um, most most of them were sort of more interested in the kind of physical appearance of a person or yep. they, didn't, you know, they didn't seem to be much in the way of uh, spiritual intellect or, um, you know, emotional connection. It was just, you know, looking for the person that looked right. right. I lasted about I think I don't know, I was I was probably on it for about a week and I just thought, this is rubbish. Mm. Yeah. Um and I unsubscribed and I still remember it. This was back in October. I was stood in my room and I thought to myself, Do you know what what I want in a relationship is a kind, gentle woman who has got some kind of background similar to me. So she's been in a uh, a cult background, um, maybe an ex-Jehovah's Witness like mm-hmm. myself. So mm-hmm. someone that understands where I'm coming from. Someone who's creative, that enjoys photography, um, music. And I even thought to myself, some, uh, some definitely someone who's very spiritually minded um, into the mystical and that kind of thing, and somebody that has a lovely singing voice. <laughs> okay. I was, I was that specific. <laughs> and I thought that, and then I just kind of let the thought go. It was literally just, I thought what I wanted and I just let it go. And I kid you not, guys, within 15 minutes my Twitter uh, direct message lit up
1: Mm.
3: and there was uh, a lady called Mariella um, from Australia who'd just come on to Twitter and she'd just stumbled across my Twitter feed and uh, she'd read um, I, I had kind of a profile that I was creative and spiritual, and um, you know, was a pandeist and uh, ex-Jehovah's Witness. And she was exactly the same as me from those perspectives. Yeah, and really? she dropped she dropped a DM into my box that said, "It's almost like you're in my mind." Really and it pinged, it pinged up. This was literally within about 15 minutes, October the 16th last year. And I got the message and I, it was weird. It was like I instantly knew and I replied, uh, yep. <laughs> and we got chatting and I was literally sat, I was stood there in my room thinking, what the hell has just happened? <laughs> um and we're now in month november december january we're now in month 5 of our relationship
4: how long did it take you to figure out that she had a beautiful singing voice <laughs> a couple of days a couple of days, <laughs> couple
3: of days. <laughs> yeah but it's it, it's i um i've never met somebody who is so in tune with me on a spiritual um, particularly spiritual and mental and emotional level. We've not met yet she lives in uh, Australia mm-hmm. um, at some point this year I'm going to go over and meet her but um, just from us, uh, even though we're 9,500 miles apart from each other there is a very very um, real connection. Um, that's beautiful. It's like it's like she's in the room with me. That's, how how do you explain that? I don't know.
4: Yeah, well, that's it's funny you ask that because that when you were ta- telling that story, that story seems like magic to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that seems like um, it, it is like yes, yeah, like you summoned her. You know what I mean? Uh, almost like you rubbed that a lamp is, and whispered. That is
3: exactly <laughs> exactly how it felt. Yeah. Exactly how it felt, Kyle.
2: Yep. So Daniel, I um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll get a, I'll just a, another level down in the uh, kind of personal stories. It's it's stuff that's been talked about on the podcast already. But uh, um, when I met my wife, um, I had a simi- yep. similar situation where I had, what once I stopped trying, uh, that's when all of that sort of happened. It was when I, I, I when I was no longer so invested in any outcome that. Whatever was necessary to, to change, to be successful, that was it. And I and I can't exactly explain it. But it, that rings very true to what happened with me. But I also want to bring this up for another reason. Well, two other reasons. My mind's going lots of places. Um, so I, I was married once before, Daniel. I don't remember if we touched on that at all. But I was married once before. Uh, my, my former wife had a child. Um, not biologically my child, but she had a child that I raised. And uh, when we split, um, well, we don't have to get into the specifics of the circumstances. But when we split, she basically pulled her out of my life. She's she, she was like, you know, you're never going to see her again. Even though I raised her for mm. for, a year, for for many years, um, you know, I, I felt very much like she was mine. Um, so that's something that uh, you and I have in common. And I I, I realize your children we are older, and I don't want to I don't want yeah. to compare. And these again, she wasn't my biological child, so I don't want to compare apples and oranges. But I did want to mention that because that's something that um, I know is part of uh, you know your recovery and this whole thing, and that that's part of I think part of what we are going to talk about when we talk about ascension, which I want to ask you about too. Uh, but I just thought I'd share mm-hmm. that with you so you know I do I do kind of see where you're coming from at least to some degree. Yeah. Um, the, one story I'll share with you um, while while I'm while I'm spewing here is that when mm-hmm. for, for oh I don't know. Years after uh, we split and I hadn't seen my, uh, you know, I hadn't seen her her child uh, in a a while. Um, I would have nightmares and I know we were talking about dreams so we should probably get back to that at some point but I would have these nightmares of all different kinds uh, but they were these separation nightmares and uh, I, I would wake myself up because I was sobbing in my sleep and it felt like what what a parent must go through when the, when their children die like that's how it felt to me. Yeah. It was a mourning process. So I know yeah. I got I got really deep and sour. I apologize, but I just wanted to mention that because you know you may not have known that we kind of have have that experience in common at least to some degree.
3: Yeah, that that kind of feeling of uh, alienation where you you have no control over the situation. Mm. It's uh, it does feel very much like a death. You've been separated, yes. and there you would do anything to change that, but um, the powers that be don't allow that. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I uh,
3: understand that,
2: and I can uh, I can try to cheer up this conversation with a related topic that uh, you, when you brought up <laughs> when, when you brought up um, f- um, first chatting with your now girlfriend, um, one of the things you, you mentioned, she said, or you said was that uh, it was like you were in their heads. You were in each other's heads. And when, uh, when I first listened to the Onion Unlimited podcast, I picked up on some of that. uh, I didn't realize you were talking about a romantic interest. And this is why I want to bring this up because I told you when you were on the podcast the first time that uh, you said something on the podcast about it feeling like you your words were coming out of somebody else's mouth, or vice versa. I can't remember exactly. Presumably, you were talking about your romantic interest. I didn't pick up on that. So when uh, when I had you on the podcast, I said the same thing to you. I was like, "Yeah, man. I, I yeah, I, I heard you. I heard, <laughs> I heard you talking on the podcast, and I thought that was like my words coming out of his mouth." So anyway, I, yeah.
3: I, well, I I I can I can confer with that because, um, yeah, you guys, um, there's there's a. I've not known you both very long. No. Um, but again, there is a there is a certain connection there that's unexplainable. It's
2: a beautiful um,
3: thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it feels like I've known you all my life. And uh, the amount of times that you say things that I'm actually thinking, uh, whether it's on your podcast or when we're chatting, And, uh, it's quite weird.
2: Yeah. It's one of those serendipitous things, man. And, uh, I, you know, what I have to get over is, um, you know, like a little bit of reluctance, even when I reached out to you the first time to see if you wanted to come on the podcast, there's a little bit of a, of a reluctance because I'm like, you know, he's a stranger and, you know, he's not going to want to come on your damn podcast, (laughs) you know, but, (laughs) but, you know, it all, all I had to do is put myself out there and here we are, you know, here we are.
3: That's right. Yeah, no, I, when, when you said, would you come on? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, there was a, uh, an immediate connection there. I thought, yeah,
4: good. <laughs> yeah, the magic of Twitter. That's true. <laughs> there you go. Um,
3: you... <laughs> You'll have to be my best man at my wedding.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, that would be
3: something. Uh, that would be something, wouldn't
2: it? <laughs> Daniel, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to talk Ascension or do you want to talk dreams?
3: Uh, either uh, I don't
2: mind. Kyle, flip, flip a coin. Which Where one do you ascension? want to start? Ascension. Okay, so
3: ascension. Okay, um, so I feel like I have been ascending to higher planes of um spirituality or consciousness. Uh, it's quite an exciting journey. I think years ago. I was somewhat egocentric. Um, I wouldn't say I was particularly competitive, but there was always a a kind of feeling of um, me and everybody else um, in my life. Mm -hmm. And then I guess around about 2004, I did a lot of thinking, a lot of meditating. Um, I actually did a life coaching course. Which, uh, as part of the uh, coursework, you had to be quite brutal with yourself in terms of your personality traits and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and around about that time, I kind of started waking. I'd say I, it was like a waking up experience, coming out of a a kind of fog. And it was. It felt kind of a move from. The physical to the spiritual. Now, I'd always thought of myself as spiritual because I was religious, Mm -hmm. very religious as a Jehovah's Witness. You know, I used to read my Bible and I used to go to church, Kingdom Hall. Um, I used to do all the things that were expected of you as a Jehovah's Witness. But I wouldn't say up to that point I was particularly spiritual. I was religious, but not spiritual. Um, I kind of went from that point to there was a period of time where I was actually put out of the church because I questioned some of the uh, doctrines mm. that I, I didn't think were correct, and I got expelled, excommunicated, uh, excommunicate, uh, disfellowship—they mm. call it in the Jehovah's Witness Church—and I was out. For three years, and I think those three years were the most spiritual time of my life. I spent a lot of those three years up in Scotland, um, up in the Highlands. I did a lot of writing, uh, songwriting, poetry. I did a lot of. Um, I spoke to a lot of other people that were spiritually minded that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And then I did a stupid thing in 2009 uh, for the sake of my family, because as a uh, as a disfellowship Jehovah's Witness, I was being shunned by my family as an apostate. Mm. Um, I capitulated and went back to the religion, and basically. Said, uh, I'd like to come back I'll keep my mouth shut I won't discuss any of the things that I'm not you know that I don't believe uh, I'll be a good boy mm. um, and they let me back in and I can almost say that overnight my spirituality felt like it evaporated mm. and I spent the next ten years jumping through hoops religiously you know kind of attending the church services and um, Preaching to other people the doctrines, etc., and generally feeling quite conflicted. Um, in my heart, I kind of knew, mm, you know, I don't believe this. I don't believe this is truth. Um, so again, I kind of got very religious, but there was something missing. Now, due to actions on my part in 2019, my Uh, my marriage ended, Um, I wasn't happy in my marriage, and uh, one thing led to another, and my marriage ended, I was divorced, I was kicked out of the church again, and almost instantaneously after leaving the church, and losing everything, I think this is important, the loss of everything I had in terms of my home, my family, my relationships, my friends, my religion, everything. I lost it all overnight uh, because everything was connected.
1: Right.
3: Um, I suddenly felt very spiritual again. And the association I made after this happening twice to me was that when you lose everything, it kind of brings... When you lose everything physical, whether it's possessions or physical relationships with people, it brings spiritual uh, your spirituality into focus.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That's, that's very much how it felt. Um, and I found myself in a position where, because I was no longer subscribed to a religion that expected certain things of me, I could then explore things that i couldn't before for example you know hinduism pandayism eastern spirituality that kind of thing as a jehovah's witness you wouldn't be allowed to meditate for example that that would be prohibited
2: you can pray but you can't meditate
3: (laughs) you can pray but you can't meditate Mm. because the idea is that if you clear if you clear your mind enough to lose your self you know your ego Mm. um they have this idea that you're basically opening yourself up to wicked um, spirits from another realm. I know and a lot of Christian, devils and,
4: yeah, I know a lot of I, non-Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Christians who who feel the exact same way. They're like doing uh, yoga, exactly. you know, it, it opens you up oh, to the devil. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah listen, no
3: yoga, no meditation, yeah. listen, nothing is, to do with chakras is, or crystals is, or anything is, like that. Isn't is isn't,
2: isn't it funny that the, you guys you guys just described the church prohibiting uh, clearing your mind to the degree that you that you might have an enlightening experience about the nature of yourself and God <laughs> that they're prohibiting Isn't that
3: amazing from having mm.
2: the religious experience? Yeah, you can you can only go right up to it, but don't have it. Oh man, that that's
3: exactly that's exactly the conclusion I've come to that religion. Is, and, and by religion, I'm only really speaking from from my background, which was a pseudo Christian um, cult. Effectively, um, it was very secular in nature. It was almost like it was a it, it was religion, but it wasn't. It, there was no mysticism to it. There was mm. no spirituality to yes, it.
2: Yes,
3: yep. It was just a formula. That you had to go through, that's, and it's
2: not just Jehovah's Witnesses. within those. <laughs>
3: it, well, I think within those within those environments, whatever label you want to put on it—Christian, um, Jehovah's Witness—there tends to be a lot. This is my experience. There tends to be a lot of judging, um, a lot of selfishness, gossip, mm. competition. Um, there's this constant kind of I need I need to be uh, salvation worthy mm. And then that brings with it after going through all the formulas to be acceptable to God there, there then comes a lot of pride mm.
1: yeah. with it
3: it's I don't think it's a very nice nice um environment to be in. It's certainly not a spiritual environment to be in. And like I say, as soon as I left that environment, it was like a spiritual cap had been taken off me and the spirituality started to flow again.
2: Yeah. So does that does that come in the form of like being allowed to I want to say ask questions, but ask yourself questions, being allowed to pursue ideas and paths um, that you that. Trying to stay in the JW box was preventing you from being able to explore. Uh, when you say yes. the cap comes off, what do you mean? How, you know, how, how would you illustrate that?
3: Um, so within that the Jehovah's Witness environment, you are pretty much only allowed to uh, read Jehovah's Witness literature. Mm. Um, everything is very much scripted for you so you know you go to two or three meetings a week where the doctrine is given to you and it's 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 presented in such a way they have publications which uh you know um books and magazines with the Jehovah's Witness doctrine in so what you do is you read it before you go to their meeting to their church service when you're at the church service, someone will read it from the from the platform and then they will ask scripted questions oh, based no. on what you've just read. Oh no. And then in the audience you put your hand up and you're asked, you know, Daniel, and I would then repeat what we've just read
1: oh, my in the
3: literature and then the the person conducting the meeting would say, yes, very good, excellent, next question. It's all done as a a kind of, um, there's a lot of repetitiveness. It's kind of Mm. mind-numbing. It is brainwashing, effectively. Whereas when you leave, all of a sudden you realize, do you know what, I can actually read about, I can read the Upanishads or the Gitas, you know, the Hindu Gitas. Yes. Or I can, I can sit and meditate for an hour. Um, or I can read about chakras. Um, all of these things are things that you would never be able to look at before. Mm-hmm. It's a very sheltered, um, closed life.
2: And what what's that experience been like? Because what what you're describing is like coming up out of Plato's cave. That's what you're describing, and that's <laughs> it, and, that, and that is and that is ascension. Obviously, climbing up out of the cave, you, you used to see just the shadows. Now you're approaching the you're approaching the uh, entrance to the cave, and you see the sun. And what is that what is that experience like? You know, you when when those shackles are removed. I know you said when you had your sh- first hiatus from the church, how how spiritually um, you know. Uh, Fecund that was for you. So what, what you one,
3: one word. Yes. One word to that. Freedom.
2: <laughs> nice. That's a big word.
3: Absolute total freedom. Um freedom to think, freedom to choose.
4: Um mm. Well, now, now I understand why they can't have a guy like you around. You know, you got that kind of manufactured, boxed in. Uh, y- they can't have people like you around asking questions. Exactly. And making people think yeah. things. Exactly. So,
3: people like me are, um, and, and I'm not alone. There are many, many like me. Um, there are thousands at the moment leaving Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, the more control they try, the leadership. Uh, particularly the more control they try to exert particularly when it comes to thought control Mm -hmm. the more people are waking up to it Um, the sad thing I see is I would say probably 80 to 85% of people leaving religions or cults become completely atheist Mm -hmm. in terms of there is not, not even so much. There is no God, but the idea that there is nothing beyond the physic, physical realm, mm. Mm. and I think that's sad. I yep. think religion has done a really a, a big injustice. There, it's kind of killing. It's killing people's
4: mm. innate
3: spirituality.
4: Yep, and they've got this uh, this weapon of materialist science. Uh, once they leave, to mm. uh, you know, kind of bash the idea that there is anything else you know like they they come out yeah i think a lot of people come out of religions because of dogma and things you know that yeah. aren't aren't spiritual at all uh and then they mm. go out and they they start exploring their other options and like i said they come into contact with this materialist science that everything is just matter um and yep. that i think yeah that just like it is it definitely ruins people's uh spiritual capacity it did mine for a long time for sure so yep i agree yep um uh, see i
3: don't this is i don't um I, i don't think i'm going to become a hindu by any means um but when i look at hinduism and buddhism Eastern spirituality in general, it doesn't feel to me like religion. It's the funny thing. Hinduism doesn't seem so much a religion, more of a philosophy to mm. me.
2: So I... Whereas
3: Western so-called spirituality are very much religions.
2: Mm. I, wanna... I don't know if that... I I definitely want to talk about that because I want to get into Hinduism. The the thing that comes to my mind, Hmm. the thing that comes to my mind is I just I'm just getting these images that religion takes something that we would call spirituality that that you maybe you might call it something like shamanism or something like what Kyle was describing when he was talking about the sacred groves or something, Hmm. something like uh, Stonehenge. Man, I would love to see Stonehenge. Daniel, have you seen Stonehenge?
3: I haven't and oh. it's so close to me I, I need to, <laughs> I need to go. <laughs> um,
2: I, I, yeah. I, I think that there's something real about having a connection with nature and a connection with your own consciousness through the experience of nature. There's something real yeah. like the mystic experience that's possible that that we would call something like spirituality and it gets turned into something called religion. And it's like religion and spirituality are associated terms, but they're completely different things. And they are
3: and, completely different.
2: And there are religions that haven't gone so far astray, that are a little bit closer to the idea, to the truth um, of, of, of spirituality, and Hinduism is one of them, especially mm, the, so. Vedanta Hinduism. Yeah. Um, but but re- really quickly, Daniel, I, I want to ask you a question before we get off, because this is uh, keeps popping in my head. Somebody like you having expe- mm-hmm. having experienced the coming and going from Jehovah's Witnesses and seeing you know the cult for what it is and also recognizing the the brainwashing element do you do you are you more sensitive to the propaganda and political ideology you know cuz because it comes from the religious realm but it also comes from the political realm are you more sensitive to the bullshit and the propaganda and the brainwashing that the political brainwashing yeah. that's going
3: on? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think when you've been in that environment and you wake up you you suddenly realize that the the world is full of people that want to control other people. And they all follow a very similar um, script. They, generally speaking, they offer. First of all, they create a problem, um, whether that's uh, you're all going to go to hell or you're going to die at Armageddon, or mm-hmm. they create mm-hmm. a problem and then they sell a solution. Mm-hmm. And half the time, the problem doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not real. It's. Um, I think you see that in yeah in politics and religion. Um,
2: You heard it here, and even in
3: even in even in commerce. I think you see it in how many different products are being produced for problems we never realised we had. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you need to buy this because. Oh yeah, I need that. You know, <laughs> it's
2: it's funny, Daniel, because I have a professional background in finance, you know, and uh, uh-huh. and and in economics, you know, um, uh, the 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 phrase that you often hear is that, you know, if you want to start a business, all you have to do is recognize where there's an opportunity, wherever responsibility is being abdicated, that's an opportunity for a business, and. Um, And that, and that makes perfect sense, but it doesn't take into consideration the point you just made that you can solve a problem or you can invent a problem and sell the solution. Mm -hmm. Which one is easier, (laughs) you know, that is true. Absolutely.
3: And I think as well, the, um, a lot of times the problem that is invented is fear-based. Yes. Um, they, they, you know, you you are scared of losing out in some way, whether that's your life or your reputation, or money, or whatever. They, they introduce a fear, which is very often an irrational fear, and then uh, then sell you the solution. You know, if you mm. come to our church or if you invest with us or, or buy vote, this product, or, or you, you won't need to fear our, anymore.
2: Or if you vote for our party, mm.
4: yes.
3: Vote for our party, you won't need to fear anymore. <laughs> exactly. Everything will be fine, you know. Uh, um, boy. Yeah, the problem is when
4: both I of the think, parties um, are saying I the same think, things.
3: I think um, sometimes I've, I've kind of wished I hadn't had the background I've had Uh, because it's been extremely painful exiting from it. And I've lost everything in terms of uh, particularly uh, friendships. And my children is the biggest thing. Mm. Um, I have no contact with my children anymore. Um, My um, ex-wife, who's still a Jehovah's Witness, won't allow me to see them.
1: Mm.
3: In fact, she moved. She moved a house and... um, took the children with her, and I have no idea where they live. Um, Unbelievable. And it all comes down to a difference in uh, beliefs because I no longer believe the same things as they they do. I'm viewed as a danger. Um, Mm. I've wished I didn't have that background, but then at the same time, it has in some ways proved to be a blessing because I feel like I've kind of woken up to a lot of things. Whereas before I was kind of walking around with a blindfold on. Right. Um, They say ignorance is bliss, don't they? They sure do. And
2: they're not wrong. Yeah.
3: (laughs) They're not wrong. They're not not wrong. wrong. I've sometimes thought I'd like to go back to having never asked any questions or, (laughs) you know, probed the edges of the... uh, what seemed to be reality at the time, but I did, and I can't change that. No, I'm can't. where I am now. So
2: you ate the apple. Yeah, yeah you ate the apple.
3: <laughs> yeah, Hey yeah, um, very much so.
2: So let, uh, let's circle back to Hinduism for a second, because we were we were talking a little bit about uh-huh. about it being maybe more palatable because it comes across as a, more of a f- philosophical doctrine than a religious doctrine. And I think by that you mean, you know, it's less of a you have <laughs> to believe X, Y, and Z or else. You know, kind of a kind of a situation. Uh, what what was it about Hinduism that appealed to you? It, uh, what what was the first thing? I mean, that what sticks in your mind, or what what was the, what were the ideas that appealed to you about it? I, I want to get your. Oh, uh... okay.
3: <laughs> well, this, this this is this this is a tale that make you smile as well. I was so I was uh, a Jehovah's Witness at the time. This is going back a few years now. Jehovah's Witness, and I don't know if you've ever seen the. Um, Have you seen those carts, uh, like trolleys, that they stand with, giving out literature?
2: Uh, You you, you stand up on. They go down
3: to like the town. uh, They go down to the town centre and they'll stand there with a. It's like a trolley with loads of books and magazines on it. Yeah, yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I used to do that Um, every Tuesday. I used to spend eight hours standing in uh, Sheffield one of the cities nearby. Um, Pretty much no one was interested. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was all part of my religion, so I did it. Um, A guy came up to me, and he, he was a Hindu. A lovely guy. Got chatting with him, and I was just fascinated by his outlook on things. He pointed to a tree. And he said, that tree is God. Yes. And then he point, pointed to a pigeon and he said, that pigeon is God. Yep. And then he pointed to me and he said, you are God. Yes. And I am God. Yes. And I was like, wow, that's profound. And he invited me to go down to, um, he had a, uh, a little stall on one of the markets a bit further down. So during my, uh, during my lunch break, I sneaked away from the Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> and uh, I found this, this guy and he gave me a copy of the Ashtavakra Gita um, and I read a section of that. I'll just read it. It's very, very short. Sure. It says, um, It says, I am the infinite deep. Yes. In whom all the worlds appear to rise beyond all form, forever still, even so am I. And I read that and I thought, wow, this infinite deep, some kind of um field, that that, that kind some kind of quantum field yes. is what that generated to me, like some kind of Ocean, yes, from which all the worlds appear to rise, and yet this infinite deep remains still, unchangeable, eternal. Yes, and, and that wow, that was that was eye opening.
2: D- Daniel, did you know that the ocean is also um, symbolic of the unconscious in, in dream analysis? Mm.
3: Mm, I think I think there's a link, isn't there? I think
2: there is the infinite deep that quantum. See,
3: I've been I've been doing a lot of uh, study recently on uh, quantum uh, quantum fields, and the fascinating thing about it is even when there is nothing. So, if if you've got a box and you take everything out of the box, yes, literally everything, all the air, um, you. You still have what's known as a quantum field within that space. Um, as far as we know, it's it's most likely um, uncreated. It's it's eternal. Yes. And this field, like a a kind of wave, um, produces little packets of energy, which then kind of crush over each other and become particles of <laughs> matter.
2: Is that vacuum energy, Daniel? So, is that, is that what they call vacuum energy?
3: Hmm. So it, basically, if you've got if you've got nothing, something will always arise from that nothing. It's amazing. Um, and that just got me thinking that I, I mean I I can't prove this, but I suspect. But that underlying field is probably what the Hindus were speaking of when they talked about the infinite deep from which all the worlds arise. I love it. Um, I think that that field is most likely conscious or, or has the ability to produce consciousness at least. And that is what I would think of as source from which everything comes.
2: Speaking my language, David. Um
3: this is why i say i don't i don't i don't think when you when you look at hinduism i mean i'm 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 only kind of very early uh looking into hinduism but i don't think it's so much a religion as a philosophy and i think it's very scientific it fits it fits with what we are starting to learn um about the way that quantum physics works
2: and that makes you wonder How they could have articulated those things that they Mm,
1: did—it
2: does. I mean, that's completely baffling. When it takes quantum mechanics to make sense of the Upanishads, you have to ask yourself, "What in the hell is going on?" That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing.
3: Yeah, it is, is, isn't it? (sighs) So, see, I would call that true. I would call that true inspiration. Whoever, whoever wrote that was connected to something greater than themselves. Mm.
2: Um, Absolutely. So wh- while we're talking about the Upanishads, I have a couple that I can read to you and we can talk about if you want. Mm, please. Um, I, I I sent you a photo of the of the copy of the Upanishads that I have, and you were like, "Nope, you can't find it in the UK." Period. So I'm going to read to you uh, some of the ones that I first read that blew my mind. And while I'm doing this, I also want to mention there's another book. If you haven't read, you absolutely should uh, uh, immediately. It's called the Tao Te Ching. It's the holy the holy book of the Taoist religion in China. Are you familiar with that I one? Think,
3: um, I think I think I. I think I may have just downloaded that. Okay, not so long back. You will. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Divine Matrix. So when I finish reading that, I'll I'll probably move on to that.
2: Okay, good. I, I want to ask you about the Divine Matrix also, uh, but uh, okay. But yes, it's uh, one of those things. It's very easy to read. The passages are written in a very poetic way, and I, you I think you will appreciate. And very similar, many of the passages are very similar to the Upanishads. Um, but, uh, but okay all right I'm gonna read a couple of these for you um, and I would love to be able to pronounce the, uh, um, the, the the names of the Upanishads but I'm not even going to try so uh, I'll just I'll just preface this by saying the first thing I learned about um, Hindu beliefs that kind of struck me as powerful is an idea that's really not unfamiliar and I don't know why it would have made such an impact on me It's the idea that, that there's a, a spiritual essence behind everything and the spiritual essence behind you, your soul, um, is called, mm. At, called Atman in, in mm. uh, Hinduism. And then the spirit, the, the grander God version, the, the thing behind the cosmos is something called Brahman. So you've got Atman and you've got Brahman. It's like the personal soul, the individual soul, and then the universal soul. And when you die, or when when you're born or when you die, you're basically being recycled. Your soul, your Atman goes in and out of Brahman, in and out of Brahman. It goes into Brahman and into the world, into Brahman, into the world, that sort of thing. Uh, So that's the idea of of reincarnation, you know, in a nutshell. And um, the idea that there was this connection between your soul and God, that idea blew my mind. You know, it's like, as a Christian, you're taught you have a soul, you have a spirit, and it's holy, and it's the thing that causes you to be alive, but never does anybody say it's also the thing that God is. Nobody ever says that. And that's, that's the part that makes the hair stand up on my arms. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, Daniel, if that, that Hindu gentleman that introduced you to the Upanishads and said, you know, the bird is God and you're God. If he would have said that to me, especially when I was a teenager, (laughs) I, I, I'm just picturing, I don't know what you guys have in the UK, but in the United States, we have these these people that will hang out at uh, uh, shopping malls or public places, and they're recruiting for the military, and their job is to make the military sound really awesome to a bunch of teenagers so that they will blindly sign up. Uh, that, that happens here. And that's what it reminded me of. If, if that Hindu man would have came up and said, the, the bird is God and you're God, I would have been stoked. I would have been following him to the ashram. I would have, I would have been on my web and shaving my head. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. All right. So all that, all that leading up to this. So here we go. Um, here's the uh, couple of Upanishad passages. First one goes like this. One should meditate on mind as Brahman. Okay, so Brahman you can think about as God with a capital G. One should meditate on mind as God. Okay, it doesn't get any more panpsychic or, or, or pandeistic than that. Meditate on mind, on your consciousness as God.
3: As God, I am.
2: Exactly. All right. Here's the next one. The next one it's, it goes like this He is a wise man who sees all beings in, in his own self and his self in all beings, thus realizing the unity of existence. Wise is the man who Mm. sees all beings in his own self, and his self in all beings. That's the oneness, that's the oneness that that the mystic experience describes. Here's another, Daniel. He who understands vidya, and that means the changeless reality, and avidya, that means the universe. So I'll read that again. He, mm. he who understands the changeless reality and the universe, both together, conquers death through the knowledge of the world and attains immortality through the knowledge of God. And that makes the hair... That
3: sta- make that... Oh, yeah. That make <laughs> that makes the... Uh, gives me goosebumps.
2: I got them too, man. I think our goosebumps are quantumly entangled because I've got them too. <laughs> um, oh, I
3: never got that feeling from religion
2: (laughs) well there there you have it It,
3: this is is on another level isn't
2: it absolutely at the same time though daniel let me let me do this to you let me do this to you that last part where he said through knowledge of the world and attains immortality through knowledge of god Mm. achieves immortality through knowledge of god now i'll read you another passage this one's from timothy And which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Or the book of Revelation, which says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. So you have a promise of conquering death that you hear in the Bible. And when you compare it to the Upanishad, who promises that knowledge of God will allow you to conquer death— then I start to think about my own uh, religious background a little bit differently. Then I'm thinking to myself, maybe there was something to this these, these biblical passages that I didn't see. What do you think?
3: I I agree. I think um, so. When I was a Jehovah's Witness, uh, it was drummed into me that we were the only organization on earth that understood the Bible or could interpret it, um, all the mysticism was sucked out of it. Mm. Everything was kind of um, explained to be describing the organization I was in. Um, Once you leave that environment and you can start looking at the Bible in a different light, Mm -hmm. allowing the Bible to interpret itself, Rather than the doctrines and the dogma, um, there are—I think there's some very mystical passages in uh, in the scriptures.
2: Absolutely. Um, And and I, I did not appreciate that when I had when I had my first mystic experience back in 2019. I saw, things, hmm. I saw things so differently for the first time. And In fact, what comes to my mind, and I wanted to talk about this in a different uh, context, but the story of, uh, the story of Jesus um, being baptized by John the Baptist, and it's just really short. It goes like this. This is in Matthew 3. It says, When Jesus came up out of the water, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and then a voice saying, This is my own son. All right so you've got this mythical story real quick just one two sentences and it paints this beautiful picture and you can imagine all these renaissance paintings of this picture of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and coming up out of the water and I would have read that and thought that's a flowery you know poetic way of trying to make this this metaphorical point in this in this gospel it has nothing it has something to do with manipulating the people reading it, it has nothing to do with spirituality then I have a mystic experience and it feels like the spirit of God coming out of the sky like a dove and saying to me, you are, you are my own, you know? So that, that's sort of along the same same lines as what you just said. It's like, uh, go ahead.
3: Yeah. Well, this is interesting because, you know, um, Christians um, speak of, or many Christians speak of the born again experience. Yes. Where they receive the Holy Spirit of God and they are born again and become a child of God, etc. Um, within the Jehovah's Witness Church, they they do believe that, but they believe it's a very limited number of their membership that that get that experience. They uh, interpret the uh, the Revelation scripture where it talks of one hundred and forty four thousand bought from mm. the earth. Mm. Um, they say there are only 144,000 Christians, and you were one of them that right? received. Well, um, for the most part, Jehovah's Witnesses are not. I mean, there's eight million of them, and um, they say in all time there's only ever been 144,000 of these anointed ones. All of the leadership, interestingly, claim to have had born-again experiences, but to me they seem extremely unspiritual people 2004 when I had uh, my spiritual awakening um, that was the only framework I knew Um, I didn't know what was happening to me Um, things were opening up to me in the scriptures, in the bible um, in, in other Uh, spiritual literature, and I interpreted that at the time as being born again um, as a Christian, as a child of God, becoming one with Christ, um, one with Christ's body, and so forth. Um, And as a Jehovah's Witness, I pretty much lived my life believing that, uh, which wasn't very popular, because it kind of put you um, kind of in a very small uh, al- almost elite mm. group yeah um, you know these anointed ones or born-again ones were kind of to be looked up to as as kind of um, almost quite special but I didn't really fit the fit the profile because on one hand i was saying i've had this spiritual experience and i think i'm born again and um but then i was questioning all their doctrines and being a danger a danger to uh, their society Mm. um i would say now it was a born again experience very much so it is a spiritual awakening but i don't think it's limited to christianity
2: nope of i not. think
3: christianity is just if you really get the sense of jesus and what he was on about i you know the oneness all his disciples being one and so forth i think i think that's one way to attain spiritual awakening but it's available from so many other places as well
2: agreed
4: I think the important
3: so I don't, I don't view I don't view it so narrowly now as purely a Christian experience yeah
4: that's uh, that's big I think the important thing is that it's in there you know um, it's there for people to find you know people yeah um, not everyone's going to um, but I think that there are a lot of Christians who they're They still have a lot of the dogma aspect of the religion, but I think that there are a lot of Christians who are really close to that, who kind of do, you know, understand. Like, um, you know, you were talking about how in the JW culture, uh, you know, you're not allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed to to do anything. Uh, My family has been a part of churches where, well, one church in particular, um, where you know me in the height of my atheist materialist uh you know whatever they were still happy to have (laughs) me there um and you know i could i could challenge whatever i wanted to i mean you know i'm sure within Within reason reason. (laughs) but i'm a pretty polite guy so i'm not gonna go you know you know know what i mean i'm not gonna go out of my way to be offensive to them if they're not being uh inappropriate to me uh but you know they do they're pretty open um and i yeah, I don't know. I I, w- I don't think that I would have thought that a few years ago. I just thought that it was all, it was all bullshit. It was all stupid, um, and you couldn't. There was no truth really to be had in there, aside from like you know your basic moralistic you yeah, know, type of yeah, stuff that, yeah. that Christianity is good for on some level, you know. Mm-hmm.
3: I think there's. Um, I've, I've met quite a few Christians that are non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones I've met that tend, when I when I say what religion do you belong to, they say, "Oh, I don't. I am just a Christian." Mm. That that kind of minimalistic view of Christianity. They seem to me to be a lot more switched on. It's the ones that are heavily into a particular religion mm. that yes. seem to lose their way.
2: See, I think you. Um, I, th- I think you're sensitive to that. Um, I, I think that's related to that episode that, that of the Onion Unlimited podcast where you said, "Look, I'm 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 not a Jehovah's Witness anymore, but but I'm also not an XJW. Don't put me in a don't put me in a in a group. Don't yeah, put don't me put in me in a box. That was exactly. a good one. <laughs> yep. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so the
3: thing is, well, the the minute you introduce religion into the picture and a church, it comes with a lot of baggage doesn't it in terms of their particular interpretation of scripture or their particular rituals Mm
1: -hmm. or
3: their particular um you know beliefs and Mm -hmm. it's i think that runs a risk of then losing the purity Mm. that is perhaps in the gospel accounts for example
4: Something I've said for a long time is that, I mean, it makes, I, I think even when I was at the height of my atheist period, I, the idea of people believing in God didn't really bother me that much. It's just like the more claims and like baggage you start putting on it, the less likely I am to believe. It's like, you're being too specific. You're making way too many claims about this thing. That's it. <laughs> that when you yeah. start, when you talk to people who are like spiritual, and you ask them a question, they're like, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, it's like beyond me on some yeah, level. That's more honest. That's
2: yeah. more honest. Yeah.
3: Honesty. Yeah.
4: That's it. Good.
3: Yeah.
2: Are yeah. right, you what, you want more quotes from the Upanishads? Fine with me. D- Daniel. Yes, please. Daniel, I've got a couple that I can, I can actually show you a little bit of the contrast between the Upanishads and the Dao Te Ching, maybe to get your, uh, your interest to pique your interest. So, I was talking a little, mm-hmm. bit, a little bit about At- Atman being the personal soul and Brahman being the, uh, the, the universal soul. So it goes like this. The Atman moves and it moves not. It is far and yet it is near. It is within all beings and it is also outside of them. Okay, that, that's the Upanishad. And I think this is something similar from Taoism. It goes like this. This is why it is called the form of the formless, the image of nothingness. Meet it, and you do not see its face. Follow it, and you do not see its back. (laughs) What do you think?
3: Mm. You're within and without. Yes. That's the idea with that, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's what I call the union of opposites, the Ouroboros. This
3: is... That's touching on fractalism again. Yes. The idea that um, we are fragments. We're like... Fragmented instances of the whole. Yes. Um, this guy. Gets the it. Divine Matrix touches on that a little bit, actually.
4: Oh. The Divine Matrix. Mm. That's a uh, who? Who wrote that book?
3: Who wrote that book? Let me just.
4: Uh, I just. I mean, it's no big deal. I was just curious if it's anybody whose name that I know. Uh, but you talked about that it, book earlier. Uh, you yeah. said you wanted to talk to him about it.
2: Uh, uh, yeah. If this if this is a good time to squeeze it in, absolutely. I did want to ask you about it.
3: Yeah, it's written by uh, a guy called. I'm just bringing it up now. Uh, While that's loading, I'll tell you what it's about. Um, It's the basic idea that there is a grid um, that runs throughout the entire universe. So the physical universe that that we think of, what we think of as reality, think of it in terms of a kind of grid of various points. Um, How small those points between the grids are I'm not sure but I would imagine you're talking quark size Mm. Um, and the idea is that every point in the universe is connected directly to every other point Mm. in the universe so um, if you were to go from A to Z you wouldn't have to go from point A to point B to point C to point D. You can just go from A to Z because they're directly connected. A is connected to Z. It's connected to Y. It's connected to W. It's connected to C. Um, And that kind of matrix, that grid, is woven throughout the whole universe. It explains um, things like quantum fields, So, this idea that this grid is kind of a field that is, you know, waves are agitated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's where physical matter arises from. Mm -hmm. It also explains things like uh, spooky action at a distance, for example. Yes. Where you get two um, particles that were together at one point, split them. Um, If you. Change the spin on one; it immediately changes the spin on the other.
1: Yep.
3: Um, it accounts for things like uh, astral projection, um, consciously being able to move to any point in the universe. That's cool because
4: um, I want I want that to be real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that's so cool. Mm.
3: <laughs> it's by a guy called uh, Greg Braden Okay. And when you read it, it is very similar wording to what you were just reading from the Upanishads.
2: Oh, interesting.
3: Um, one section talks about fractal. Um, the, um, it's quite an interesting thing that, um, DNA in a human body, if you affect, uh, a DNA, whatever one of those is, if you affect a DNA, it doesn't just affect that DNA. It affects all of the DNA in the body.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, and that isn't something that kind of takes time to travel to other parts of your body. It, it's instant. If you change the DNA in a person, their entire DNA is different. And they've done some experiments where they actually removed a DNA strand from a, from a person separated that DNA strand by a couple of hundred miles and then did some experiments on the person that would have physical effects on the DNA of Mm. that person, Um, you know, stressing them out or causing, you know, joy or whatever, you know, experiences. The, obviously the DNA in the person was being affected, but apparently this experiment proved that the DNA at a distance also was affected.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. That
3: That's pretty amazing. good, isn't it? It's called, uh, the subtitle is uh, Bridging Time, Space, Miracles and Belief. Mm. So yeah.
2: um, <laughs> that is interesting.
3: It would explain. I, I read a book a while back by a, uh, an Indian doctor. I don't know if you've ever read it called Phantoms in the Brain. No. No, it's about uh, amputees.
2: Mm.
3: And uh, there was a guy that uh, went into hospital and had his arm amputated. And uh, after the operation, he could still feel his arm. And he said it felt like it was wriggling, almost with like worms or maggots or something.
1: Whoa.
3: And the doctor said, well, it's not, you know, that that's not, not going to be... You know the situation it's just in your mind and he, he asked them what had happened to his arm and they said well when we amputate parts we incinerate them and he said uh, i don't think my arm's been incinerated so the doctors checked and something had gone wrong on that day the incinerator wasn't working or something and his arm had been bagged up and buried in the hospital grounds. Oh my God! And when they dug it up, it was um, it was crawling with maggots. Oh my goodness! And um, they burned the arm, incinerated it, and all of these feelings in this guy disappeared.
2: That's weird. That is weird. Wow! <laughs> Listen, I- isn't a. That- that's good, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm generally my
3: uh, Doctor Ramakandram.
2: Okay, I'm I'm generally very skeptical about stuff like that. And that that's also something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, but I will hmm. I will tell you this story while we're talking uh, fantastic stories. Um, as far as as far as supernatural, unexplainable stuff that's ever happened to me, it, it's a very limited. You know, I, I wouldn't even put like the mystic experience in that category. I'm talking about. Um, Seeing you know seeing ghosts or, or anything any any unexplainable kind of thing like that, um, I had it, I had a uh, well uh, I don't know how specific to be here. There was somebody I knew once upon a time that um, that would write in her sleep. She would write things in her sleep, and she the reason she would she would wake up and find the writing. That's how she knew she was doing it, but she didn't have any memory of writing in her sleep. So. At one point she shows me a piece of writing and it was on a piece small piece of paper and there was a phrase written on it in cursive with no spaces in between the words so the whole thing was written the whole sentence was written as one continuous
4: cursive word
2: cursive word yes she has no memory of writing it i can't remember exactly what was on this page but what happened was about a year later I was reading the Divine Comedy D- Dante's Divine Comedy and I mm-hmm. and I read that passage from the Divine Comedy that's crazy and I I found that piece of paper I compared it to the Divine Comedy passage and it had some word differences but it was almost identical almost identical and here's the strange part the the person who wrote this has zero interest in religion had zero interest in the Divine Comedy would have no idea who Dante was, you know, not somebody who you would ever expect. Uh, I don't know how you explain that, Daniel, but that's that's one
3: example. I would say that comes back to the fact that we are all one. Mm. I, hon- I honestly do believe there is just one consciousness that is being experienced through multiple entities. Mm. We share the same consciousness, so we've We're all just read the aware Divine of it.
4: Comedy. <laughs> exactly. We've all read the divine. We've all
3: written the Divine Comedy. <laughs> Ooh,
4: I love it! I love it. <laughs>
2: uh, okay, um, hold on. I got a couple more Upanishad passages before we get off this subject. Listen to this one: By pure mind alone, can it be understood that there is no difference between Brahman and the manifested universe? Through mind alone can it be understood that there's no difference between God and the universe, and then this one—it's
3: the—it's uh, the divine matrix, the grid, the grid, the quantum, the quantum field is God. That's
2: it. Uh, when Kyle and I talk about it on the podcast, we usually call it the. Uh, what do we call it, Kyle? We call it the. Uh, I'm the, sure the Terminator or... 2. Oh yeah. The Terminator 2 substance. Uh I don't know if you remember that movie, but the villain from <laughs> Terminator 2, he he was that liquid metal that could become anything. It's that pure potential that's, that's it, like behind yeah. reality. All right, this yeah. here, here's one. This one this one's short and sweet and really good. This Atman is Brahman. Yeah. This Atman, he he's saying I am God when he says this Atman is Brahman. Yeah. And that makes the hair stand up on my arms.
3: That's fractal again. Yes. Yes. The small instant, what we are is, uh, as individuals, is small versions of the, the, the greater whole, the Brahman. But there's essentially no difference. Yes. If we were Brahman, we would feel the same.
2: I'm just nodding over here. I'm nodding in agreement. Hmm. Um, here, listen to this one, Daniel this is from the Mundanka Upanishad it says as a spider emits and withdraws a web as plants grow from the soil and as hair grows over the human body so does the universe spring out from the eternal Brahman."
4: that's good I like that one that's good, yeah
2: <laughs> oh boy, okay oh, I won't bore you, I've got more but I won't bore you with it <laughs>
3: You said you had a um, quote by Henry Bergson.
2: Yes, yes. Let's let's read this one. So I, I have to say, you, um, you remember earlier when I referenced um, on Twitter, sending you that uh, that uh, invite thing for that that doctor that was going to speak about psychedelics and consciousness. Um, I yeah. I actually heard about Henri Bergson from him on Twitter, and he posted this. Uh, passage, And since, I, I've bought a couple of Henry Bergson's books. I haven't got into, but I'm going to. But here's, here's how it goes. It goes like this. The question why anything exists presumes that reality fills a void, that underneath being lies nothingness. This presupposition is pure illusion, for the idea of absolute nothing is like that of a square circle all right daniel go
3: go um that comes back to the quantum vacuum again the fact that there never is there, there never is nothing yes there can't be nothing
2: yes yes couldn't agree more and that idea—that idea of vacuum energy that you brought up earlier—that you could suck everything out of a space, and as, as much as possible, you can remove everything from a space. And when you do that, you're still left with this quantum field that produces vacuum energy. You can never get rid of it. That there is no such thing as nothing, and and there's no—and at
3: some point, if agitated enough, it will produce um, particles.
2: Amazing, amazing. Hmm. Yeah.
3: There's a guy called um, uh, Neil Donald Walsh. Hey. Don't know if, uh, he's written a series of books called uh, "Books Called Conversations with God," okay. where he he speaks with God in these books. It's kind of a I think he's a he presents himself as a channel. Um, what, something I read the other day. It said uh, the soul, the soul is the universal life energy. Focused and localized, and vibrating at a particular frequency in one specific time and space. Mm,
2: yes, I, I love. So even the
3: soul, the consciousness, is a is something that arises from that quantum field. Mm.
2: So in, I think mm. this. I think this may be string theory, but I'm not a and I'm not a, I'm not a physicist. But the the idea that uh, I think it's connected to string theory that the vibrations of the strings determine what what particle is being yeah. produced. So if it vibrates this way, it's a quark. If it vibrates this way, it's a you know gluon or whatever. Um, and that yep. and that there's some parallel there to what the what you're describing. That if if there is this quantum matrix of potential of consciousness, um, and all it takes is movement, all it takes is the vibration of that the manipulation of that field. Uh, well, let's call that field consciousness, and who's doing the vibration? That's consciousness, baby. So on both sides, but but a certain pattern of vibration is going to create a cosmos. It's going to create a Daniel, a Kyle, a Chris. Um, there's a parallel there that you see in quantum mechanics. That I, I, again, I, I, it's a, it's one of those fractal repetitions. You know, it's a be- it's so beautiful that idea. I don't know if it's true, but it's so beautiful.
3: Well, this is, just now you were saying, you know, you're not sure whether you buy into the, uh, you know, the heebie-jeebie stuff. (laughs) Um, I was discussing this with my girlfriend recently. So she's into crystals. Um, She's doing a course on forensic healing. So energy healing, chakras, all this kind of thing. And on the surface, it all sounds very kind of uh, magical and, um mumbo jumbo ish. Yes, yes. Uh but in discussing I mean she's way more ahead of she's got a natural affinity to this sort of thing. Um she actually views many of these things as um scientifically explainable. It all comes back to the quantum field, the energies um that are flowing through the universe um so you know when you when you speak about things like the spooky action at a distance mm-hmm. and amputees arms and all these sort of things is a there's a, a scientific explanation to it it's not um it's not quite so strange as it seems on the surface
2: w- would you say under that lens that somebody like um you know the ancient Pagan, you know, Celts or something over in your neck of the woods Hmm. uh, going out and doing their ritual magic. Do you think that they were tapping, that they were also tapping into the quantum fields through their consciousness, perhaps as the bridge?
3: I I think they probably were, yeah, because you think about what they were doing. I mean, they were, a lot of these people were in nature. Um, They were most likely using some psychedelics of some kind, Hmm. I would imagine. Um, they're definitely smoking something, weren't they? They were indeed. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I would have said they're probably connecting to um, some some kind of universal consciousness or field. Absolutely. Hmm. I think I think when you look at um, any of the kind of mystics and sages and prophets, visionaries, all those kind of. People that have come before us—they're um, all of them are connecting into something on a, on a higher level. Um, they all basically say the same thing, don't they?
2: Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting?
3: Mm. Yeah. Whether it's Jesus or Buddha or—I mean, you compare like Buddha and uh, Jesus—the amount of things they said that were almost identical is, yeah.
2: For the sure. golden
3: rule is something that runs through all spiritual practices, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's interesting. So I, I think that at the, co- the core, the root of all religious experience, of all spiritual, spirituality, you might say, and religion, is, is an experience. It's either somebody having a, a mystic experience or something akin to a mystic experience um, firsthand, uh, or then somebody who's had one sh- trying to explain it to other people. And that's what holy books are. That's what, uh, you know, do- dogma and ritual are. It's trying to reenact and recreate some experience that somebody else had. Um, and that, that might be a good way of describing that divide I was trying to describe earlier between legitimate spirituality and religion, you know? It's like the, spirituality is...
3: I, th- I think I think what's what's happened, I mean, if you go back to... 18th 19th century even as early as that ideas like the panpsychism that you've been talking about you know that all is mind um it was pretty much the default position even in the west Mm. you know not just in eastern spirituality but even in the west um when we entered the 20th century there was a rise in Uh, what's known as logical Mm. positivism, Um, the idea that things are only true if you can directly observe them or or give some kind of logical proof uh, for somebody else to have the same experience. Um, So these sort of ideas have kind of dropped out of favour, haven't they? But I, I don't I, I don't accept that. I don't accept that. Um, I, I think intuition is still a very viable route to truth. I really do. I yes. don't think you can prove everything to other people. It is very much down to an experience. Yes. If you've had the experience, that's your truth. You I know, really do think that. You
2: know, Daniel, that that's something that I only learned a few years ago. It's so strange mm-hmm. b- because I grew up... Uh, and and we're, we're we're coming pretty close to probably when we're going to have to wrap. So apologies, but um, there's a couple, still a couple things I want to talk about, uh, including including dreams. Um, where was I going just now? Damn it! Um, Should have left more breadcrumbs, man. You, know you had a
3: had you came to realize the oh, same about intuition about intuition. Uh,
2: about intuition. Uh, yes, sir. intuition. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until I had that mystic experience in 2019 because what happened was I started to think more visually. After I had that mystic experience, I started to think more in images and and less in hard and true and firm and fast ideas. And it allowed me to think more, more flexibly than I ever had before. And it it made me realize all kinds of things, but mostly things that I was wrong about. Like I had previously presumed that things were more structured and rigid than they are and then i had that experience and realized oh no there's a way there's way more give to 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 things there's there's you know it, it'll it it allowed me to think more creatively and uh, it's been really great for me actually and it also yeah. allowed, it also allowed me to get over some of the objections that i used to have that said if you couldn't prove something scientifically that it wasn't worth exploring or it could be written off or it had to be written off and then i realized after having a mystic experience that no, intuition is a legitimate sense, you know? It's a legitimate sense, mm. and it tells you if you're resonating with the truth. And I just didn't know Ab- what that would even even Absolutely. meant.
3: And I think the only people that would disagree with that are people that haven't had the experiences. Bingo. Mm. Bingo. Bingo. And some sometimes, unfortunately, the—I mean, don't get me wrong—I'm not against science at all. I think science is is an absolutely brilliant route to finding truth. But if that—if you—if you decide that that is your only way to finding truth, things that can be replicated um, through experiments and proven to other people, you've immediately gone and shut off a mm. whole other science, haven't you? Absolutely, um, intuition. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, all right. So, uh, with our with our la- with our last remaining few minutes here, I want to ask you about dreams for two reasons. First of all, firstly, I'm very interested in dreams. Always have been. Uh, always like hearing other people's dreams and trying to psychoanalyze them. You know, as an amateur. Um, so, <laughs> so you said you've been getting better at remembering them, writing them down. I and-
3: have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I have an absolutely Fantastic dream life. Nice. I, I would love you to come and join me in my dreams. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, they're on a. I, I think they're on a level with psychedelic experiences, to be honest. Um, and I've started getting way better at remembering my dreams. What I'm doing now is, when I wake up, I immediately uh, write it down. Uh, what I've just dreamt about. I think if you leave it for even a short period of time, the dream just kind of fades. Yes. And you can't even remember what happened. Whereas if you write it down immediately, it kind of keeps it there. And I've actually started a uh, dream journal. Nice. Uh, on my Onion Unlimited website. Oh, Okay, great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's really it's really out there. <laughs> <laughs> some really weird stuff going on um i keep getting some really repetitive dreams as well a place that i used to work at uh, an airport that i used to work at um i fly a lot i do an awful lot of flying <laughs> interesting in my dreams um and my girlfriend actually uh, interprets my dreams for me Ooh, so uh, i tell her what my dreams are each morning and um she uh, spends a bit of time going away and figuring out what it all means.
2: So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a crack at it right now, really quickly. G- Go on. Dream interpretation. Okay, so you, you just said you were dreaming about uh, flying an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in different contexts. Fine. And my mind, yep. my mind immediately went to ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs. So if you've ever seen the ones that that are supposed to uh, represent parts of the soul, one of them is a face with wings. So it's the part of you that, that can f- flee your body, it can fly away, your, your, your consciousness, you know? Um, mm. So I'm thinking about you, well, I'm thinking about birds, like, like the great flood, right? And they, Noah, Noah sends out the birds and they're out flying around trying to find purchase and they come back if they can't find purchase. So these are the images that are flowing through my head while you're describing that and I just wonder if that has something to do with feeling like you're, like you're out at sea and you're looking for your solid ground.
3: I think a lot of, um, from what I've uh, been able to make of it so far, a lot of the dreams that I'm experiencing are working through um, some of the trauma and loss. I think that that seems to be a way that my mind is is kind of piecing things together there. And the things like flying... And uh, yeah, I do a lot of that and a lot of running. Mm. Um, seems there seems to be a theme coming through with a lot of my dreams that I'm offending in some way. Oh,
2: I see. Okay. Uh,
3: spirit, it, it seems to be about freedom you know, the, the freedom to, to think and explore and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm like just, it. I'm only just starting to get good at lucid dreaming only just started on that so
2: okay well hold on i pump, actually pump the i can
3: actually know that i'm dreaming
2: Let, tell me about the first time that happened the first time you noticed that you were dreaming and didn't and didn't wake up
3: uh i realized i was uh, i was in a sweet shop in my dream <laughs> and i realized it was a dream uh and i could pretty much make any sweets i wanted <laughs>
2: And that's what you did. And that's what
3: you did. You sat there and made sweets. Yeah. Uh, I was like, you know, the sweets on offer, I don't really fancy any of these, but I can just kind of, it's a dream. I can do whatever I want. But I mean. do, I think, I honestly do think that dreams are another reality. I mean, something is clearly going on in your brain at the time. And it's like, especially with lucid dreams, you're generating your own reality using your. Either your consciousness or your subconsciousness, mm. and although it may be more fanciful, you know you can break the laws of physics. I wonder whether that's any less real than our waking lives. It certainly seems real when you're in a really good dream.
2: Sure does. You know we- what? I, you know what I would say. You know, you would say that your dream world is a projection of your mind. And I would say I would say exactly what you just said in, in those words I would say what what is to say that reality waking reality is not a projection oh. of our minds
3: who's to say that we're not asleep? <laughs>
2: who's to say we're not asleep <laughs> <laughs> So d- we
3: could be the, we could be the dream of the, uh, the Brahmin.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, d- d- Daniel, do you feel like your, uh, your girlfriend's, um, interpretation of your dreams? Has that been insightful?
3: Yeah, it has. It has actually. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's quite a, um, it, it makes yourself quite vulnerable. If that, if that makes sense insofar as I'm sharing, Sharing something with her that you know, I I actually share all of my dreams with her. I only publish certain ones on the website. (laughs)
1: Gotcha,
3: gotcha. Um, You gotcha, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's quite interesting seeing what she makes of them, and uh, I think that I definitely think there's something there. Uh, Moving on in the future, I we've got this vision that we would like to maybe set up some kind of retreat. For people where they can uh, come and visit us, engage in some of the creative arts, mm. um, which are you know spiritual thing, and also benefit from some, you know, sort of spiritual guidance, teaching, healing, that kind of thing. That sounds um, amazing. Mm, got some ideas together that we're working on. So it,
2: sounds it, sound, so, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> sounds like a lot of work, though. Fun work, though.
3: Yeah, fun work. Some work,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Daniel. Listen, we're, we're just a little over two hours. I feel like my wife's going to start to get upset if we carry on. I can, <laughs> I, I could carry on. I got way more notes that I took down to, to, to talk to you about than we've actually got to. I got some, I got some Atlantis stuff, and I also had
0: Atlantis. Ooh, I, that's yeah, very yeah, good.
2: I did, and I, I also have a whole bunch of quotes from other people who've had a mystic experience that described it. And I wanted to read some of those uh, with Daniel and get some get some thoughts. So maybe part three. we'll save that for part three. Um, I do. Part want,
3: three sounds
2: great. Good. I, I do want to. I do want to leave you with one of these quotes, and this is um, yeah. this is Aldous Huxley of uh, of Brave New World fame. Um, he he wrote this quote. It goes like this. He's talking about having a psychedelic mystic experience. Um, he says, "I find." I found myself all at once on the brink of panic. This, I suddenly felt, was going too far. Too far, even even though the going was into intenser beauty, deeper significance. The fear, as I analyze it in retrospect, was of being overwhelmed or disintegrated under a pressure of reality that a mind could possibly bear. So that's Daniel standing in Scotland at the edge of the rocky beach looking out into the eternity of the ocean.
4: It's you at the coral reef. It's me, yeah. it's
2: me at the coral reef. Yeah. What do you think, Daniel?
3: I think that sounds um, scary and exciting all at the same time.
2: What more could you hope for? all right hang in there i'm gonna i'm gonna play the music and i'll get back to you in just a second daniel let's okay say goodbye
0: adios thank you bye well there you have it that's one avenue explored but infinitely more still to go i hope you enjoyed thinking along with us i know i know it's not easy work